0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you've got your Bibles, uh, in, uh, you know, when we're indoors, uh, most of the time, uh, we put the scripture text up on the screen, uh, no screen this morning, and so uh, all summer long, uh, I do want to invite you to bring your Bible uh, to worship on Sunday morning, so we, we are going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the Gospel of John, we started, uh, gosh, back in January, going through the Gospel of John, and we're hitting all the passages, uh, even the difficult passages. And uh, it's been really a, a wonderful time for us. And I think we'll finish up sometime around Thanksgiving this year. And I know many of you are reading through your, your daily devotional as well, reading through John. And many of you are also participating in life groups, uh, chewing on this and wrestling with this. And what does this mean for me? And uh, how can we live into this? And so today we are in uh, John 10. Uh, John 10 and uh, John 10, of course, uh, does uh, no surprise here. Uh, comes on the uh, on the heels of John 9, and the reason why I bring that up is because John 10 and John 9 are connected. They're they're kind of the same event, um, and so John 10 really picks up where John 9 left off. And those of you who were here last Sunday know uh, that John 9 was that story, uh, that event where Jesus heals a man born blind. And so right after he does that, gets all the religious leaders uh, fired up and they have this uh, uh, heated conversation, uh, Jesus moves into a sermon, into a teaching. Throughout John 9, uh, what Jesus is doing uh, over and over and over is actually 14 times he has asked the question, Who are you? Who are you? 14 different times. I don't know if you noticed that last week. Jesus was asked or someone asked the blind man, who is this guy, by the way? Tell us who you are. Cut, cut to the chase. Be straight with us because we're hearing all sorts of things. We're seeing things. You're, you're healing this blind man. Who in the world are you? And it's, that's what Jesus is going to talk about today. Now, one other thing before I read the scripture text this morning is again, uh, John 10 is connected to John 9, but it's also connected to John 8 and John 7, uh, which is the festival of the booths, the festival of the tents. Um, sometimes you know it, uh, maybe if you've heard of it as Sukkot, which is uh, a Hebrew celebration. It's a party, it's a water party. Uh, it's it's a party where uh, people just celebrate God's faithfulness and how God rescued God's people, the Israelites, from slavery brought them through the wilderness for 40 years and uh, placed them into the promised land. He set them free. And so this is, uh, this is all part of this context. And so we have to really understand that uh, Sukkot, the festival of, of tents or the festival of booths, has just finished up. Jesus heals a blind man in the temple. And they have this conversation about Jesus. Who are you? And as I think about Jesus uh, teaching and explaining all that's going on on the heels of this great celebration, it's this reminder that as God leads the people through the wilderness, they are completely helpless without God. There's this idea that God is the good shepherd. God is the one leading them and guiding them. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that God led them by a a pillar of fire uh, by night and, and by day, a pillar of clouds. Without God's leading, they would just be wandering in the wilderness forever. But now, now things, as Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, he's inviting them to see and experience this shepherd, this imagery, this language in a whole new way. So that was just a little bit of context to give you time there to get to John 10. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an amazingly beautiful day. For the sun shining, the wind blowing, the birds singing. God, this is your sanctuary. We are your people. You are our God. So God, open our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Allow your Holy Spirit to just blow among us, to speak to us, encourage us, and challenge us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, perhaps the most familiar passage of Scripture is Psalm 23. Even if you're not a church person, you probably know uh, the language from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? We know this. This great passage that King David talks about, that God is our shepherd and this metaphor, this imagery of God being the good shepherd and we following after God, we are the sheep of his pasture. This imagery, this metaphor shows up over and over and over throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, most of us uh, are not uh, sheep farmers and uh, we don't really get this particular metaphor, uh, this imagery all that well. But I got to thinking uh, this week, how many of you are pet owners or former pet owners? Any Anybody ever owned a pet here in your life? Okay. Well, in the world of pet ownership, even if you don't own a pet, there are basically two kind of pet owners. There are good pet owners and there are bad pet owners, right? So uh, the bad pet owners, they are the ones who um, don't take their dogs for walks, They are the ones who don't give their dogs or or their pets much attention. They are the ones who just kind of put their animal, their dog out in a pen out and back and their dog yaps and yipes all day long, right? Because they're neglected. They want some attention. They want some love. And you look at those pet owners and you're like, that's a bad pet owner, right? They just do not take care of their pet. Then there's the good pet owners. And I would imagine that's all of you, right? You guys are all good pet owners. You take good care of your pets. Maybe you even read scripture to your pets. I don't know what you do for your pet, but you are good pet owners, I'm sure, right? So there's bad pet owners and good pet owners, and you take care of your pets. Then there's a whole other category. There are the people who take really, really, really good care of their pets, and those are the people who bring their pets wherever they go, right? They always got to bring Fluffy with them to wherever they're traveling to. Or maybe you'll see these uh, extraordinary pet owners, and uh, at Christmas time, they're wearing a little sweater, right? And maybe monogram on it or something like that. And they're they're really good to their pets. And if their pet doesn't seem real happy, uh, they will take their pet to, like, a dog psychiatrist or something like that, and they'll kind of speak into the pet. This is a real thing. Some of you are looking at me like I'm making this up. There are dog psychiatrists who can kind of work through issues with pets. And then there's pet spas where you can take your dog, um, and they can have their fur fluffed and their nails done and all that good stuff. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, um, that's a little overboard, that's crazy, that's silly, that's obnoxious, right? Right. But think about it. If you were a pet, if you were a dog, which owner would you want? The bad owner, the good owner, or the really good owner? I'm going for C if I were a dog, right? I want to go to the spa. I want to have my nails done. I want to be taken care of. I want to be carried around, go everywhere. I want the little uh, uh, you know, monogram on my sweater in the wintertime. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that's category C. He says, God is so amazing. He takes such good care of me. David is bragging in that psalm, in Psalm 23. I don't need anything. God is so amazing, and he just blesses me in so many ways. I don't need anything. I am good. So that's what I want you to think about. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus picks up on this idea of God being so good and so amazing. Here we go in John 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So in this sermon, as Jesus is talking a little bit about uh, shepherds and sheep, he picks up on this idea of King David and really kind of talking about sheep. And so as we think about sheep today um, uh, and, and sheep in Jesus' day, what Jesus, of course, is talking about is that you and I are the sheep. And so I want us to just kind of, again, most of us weren't raised around sheep. Don't raise sheep today. But I want us to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a sheep. And the first thing about sheep is uh, they wander and they get lost uh, very easily. They have no clue. They just, they'll, they'll put their head down. They'll start eating and then they'll just keep going with their head down and wander and wander and wander. And eat and eat and eat. And pretty soon they'll come up and they're like, huh, where am I? I mean, that's a sheep. That's what a sheep does is they just, they eat and they wander. And they're not even sure where they're at when they bring their head up to kind of look around. Isaiah picks up on this idea of sheep and what it means to be a sheep. He says, all all of us are like sheep and gone astray that's what it means to be a human being is that we are like sheep we just wander we just go off we just we put our head down and we just go and then we look up and we're like where am i you know there's the old hymn come thou fount of every blessing i i I hear that hymn and i think you know that's that's me because there's a verse in that hymn prone to wander Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's just the human condition. I I just, I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to just kind of walk off and walk away from God. Left to my own devices, I will wander. It's what I do. And I wonder if you've ever kind of gone through life, brought your head up, and just all of a sudden asked yourself, how did I get here? Not like, you know, how did I climb up the ladder and hey, how did I get here? But like, you're, you're like, whoa, how did I get here? How did I get in this mess? I mean, all of a sudden, I thought I was moving through life and then now all of a sudden I've got uh, problems. I've got this issue. I've got this broken relationship. I've got this financial deal. I've, I've got this financial uh, situation. I've got this business situation. I've got the, you know, this relationship issue. How did I get here? How did I get into this mess? It's because we were wandering. We weren't paying any attention. And then all of a sudden, we lift our head up and we're like, oh, how did I get here? I think about um, back when we used to go to shopping malls. Remember what shopping malls were? Those places where we used to buy stuff. Those, you've got to be a little bit older to remember the shopping malls. But you would walk into a shopping mall and you want to go to a particular store. And so you would go over to a kiosk and you would look on the kiosk for whatever store it is. C-26, that's where I want to go. Now, it doesn't matter, you know, kind of where that store is in the mall, but once you figure out uh, where C-26 is uh, on the map, what's the next thing you look for? You look for the little star, right? That little thing that says, you are here. See, because we can know all day long where that store is, but if we don't know where we are right here, right now, we're never going to make it there to C26, to that store. Because we are prone to wander and just walk around, and most of the time, oftentimes, we don't even know where we are at. This is what it means to be a sheep. You know, have you ever seen that picture of Jesus carrying a lamb on his shoulders? walking around. He's got a lamb on his shoulders. You ever seen that picture before? I love that picture. I mean, you, you think to yourself, oh, that is so cute. That's so beautiful. Jesus is carrying a lamb on his shoulders. You ever wonder why Jesus is carrying the lamb on his shoulders? Because it wandered off. And what a shepherd would do with the wandering sheep is they would track it down Break its legs, put it back on its shoulders, carry it home, mend the legs, and they would continue to carry around that sheep wherever they went. Guess what? That sheep stopped wandering. They learned their lesson. They needed to stay close to the shepherd. I maybe just shared some of your life story here this morning, right? But that's how it worked in ancient times. Second thing about sheep is they are vulnerable and defenseless. Now, we might have a lot of fears of a lot of different animals and a lot of different things, but I would imagine there are no people here today who are afraid of sheep. I've got this terrible phobia of sheep. I mean, most of us, when we see a sheep, we're like, "Eh, that's a sheep. We don't really get worried about it. In fact, maybe if you've had kids growing up, maybe one of the first stuffed animals you'll give your kids is a little sheep or a little lamb, right? Why do we do that? Because sheep, lambs, they're so harmless. Nobody's afraid of a sheep, right? Maybe you're having trouble sleeping at night. How many of you count wolves when you go to bed? We don't do that. What do we count? Sheep. Why do we count sheep? Because they're just so helpless. They're so vulnerable. It's just like, oh, it's just a sheep. I mean, nobody gets stressed out, unless you're a sheep farmer, I guess, but, uh, but that's not most of us. Nobody gets stressed out today just counting sheep, because sheep are just so vulnerable. They're just so helpless. They're just so needy. They're, just, they're like, oh, everything is good. So sheep wander a lot. Sheep are vulnerable and defenseless. And the third thing about sheep is that they need to be fed and watered constantly. They really need to be taken care of, actually, because what a sheep will do um, in ancient times, especially out in a pasture where there's not fences and all that, is they'll put their head down. They'll just start eating. They'll eat the grass in front of them. And then after they've eaten the grass, uh, then they will go for the roots and they'll keep eating the roots. And after they eat the roots, rather than moving on uh, to some more grass, they'll be like, oh, there's some more here. And they'll start eating the dirt. And the rocks. And pretty soon, the sheep have, you know, dirt and rocks in their stomach. They'll kill them, right? And this is true for us, too. as we often just, we, we, feel, we just look right down. And we just eat the stuff right in front of us. The dirt, the rocks. It's called the internet, folks. We fill our minds with all sorts of junk, day in and day out. It's killing us. This is what's going on with the sheep. They need to be taken care of. They need to be fed. They need to be watered. And how does any good sheep survive? A good shepherd, of course. Verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I am the shepherd, and I am the gate, the one who's going to take care of these sheep. He makes very certain, he's very intentional about talking about the thieves and the robbers. And he talks about the thief. Jesus warns the people that I'm the good shepherd, but there are thieves, there are robbers, and the thief has a plan for you in your life. And the thief that Jesus is talking about, of course, is Satan. And I think oftentimes we're like, yeah, yeah, Satan. So what? But Satan's a big deal. Jesus talks about this thief. And so this morning, I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about this thief. The first thing uh, I want to share about uh, the thief this morning is that Satan is real. And Satan would like us just to go through our lives denying the reality of who he is or minimize who he is. Satan would like us to think that he's just some guy in a red uh, outfit, full bodysuit with a pitchfork on Saturday Night Live, cracking jokes, right? Ha, ha, ha. Jesus says, that's not who Satan is. Satan is very real. Satan, the Bible tells us, uh, was once upon a time an angel. He stood eyeball to eyeball with God. God. But Satan, his name was Lucifer, said, I want what God has, all that power, everything he's got. He became very envious. He became very jealous. He said, when I grow up, I want to be God. And God says, you can't be me. And so there was this rebellion, and Satan fought against God, and God threw uh, Lucifer out of heaven with all his other followers. So Satan is very, very real. Number two, Satan is powerful. Scripture tells us that uh, Satan and the demons, they're powerful. We ought not to minimize their power. In fact, it says that Satan can just, with, with his hand, he can kill thousands of people, you and me. That's what he can do. Make no mistake about it. Satan is very powerful. In First John it says this, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan is power. Powerful. Number three, Satan is brilliant. Satan knows scripture. Remember, Satan stood eyeball to eyeball with God. He knows stuff that you and I don't know. In fact, Satan knows the Bible so well, he probably knows more scripture than all of us together combined. And over and over, this is what Satan will do is he not only knows scripture, but he will use scripture against us because this is what he did with Adam and Eve. Remember in Genesis, did God really say? And then when Jesus was in the wilderness, what did Satan do? He quoted Scripture over and over and over. He speaks scripture and then he just twists it a little bit. This is how Satan operates. He's smart. I mean he's not some dummy. He is brilliant and he knows scripture. Number four, Satan is filled with hate. He hates you. Satan hates God. Satan hates you and Satan hates the idea that you would become a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe sometime you've heard that people say God loves you and he has a plan for you. Well, I will say it the other way. Satan hates you. And he has a plan for you. And, and, and Jesus tells us what the plan is. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his plan for you. Kill, steal, and destroy your joy. Satan would love to kill, steal, and destroy your marriage. Satan would love to kill, steal, and destroy your joy. Satan would love to kill, steal, and and destroy your walk with Jesus, your intimacy with Jesus. Satan would love to kill, steal, and destroy your purpose in life. Satan would love to kill, steal, and destroy any urgency that you might have to share the gospel with other people. That's just what he does. That's what he's about. He hates you, and he wants to kill you and steal from you and destroy you. This is what Jesus tells you, tells us. Uh, Number five, Satan is filled with deception and lies. Lying is his mother tongue. We speak English, Satan speaks lying. This is what he does. He He talks to people. He speaks into them. A lot of it's the truth. And then at the last moment, he twists in just a little bit of lies. Very, very deceptive. And oftentimes we think, well, Satan made me do it. You ever heard that before? Maybe you've thought that to yourself. Satan made me do it. Satan can't make you do anything. All he can do is deceive you. Satan is like setting the table in front of you. And then he tempts you and says, hey, you want some of this? Or maybe you're a fisherman. Satan is like like tossing out lures. Hey, how does this one look? Sex? Temptation? How about this one? Money? How about this temptation? Power? The list goes on and on. You don't have to bite into that lure. But Satan is really good at lies and deception and throwing out those ideas of temptation in our lives. Number six. Satan deceives on earth and accuses in heaven. The Hebrew word for Satan is hasatan, and it literally means the accuser. It's like he walks around, pointing his finger, saying, you have been accused. It's what he does. The Greek word, diabolos, comes from deception, diabolical. It's this idea that he's sneaky, and he's running around, pointing his finger at us, and he's active on earth. And he accuses us as we're moving towards heaven. You want some good news about Satan? I mean, I kind of brought everybody down this morning, right? <laughs> Number seven, Satan is limited. He's limited. He is not the yang to God's ying. He's not as powerful as God. He's not omnipresent like God is. Satan cannot be everywhere at all times. He's not omniscient like God is. He can't know all things, and he's not omnipotent. He doesn't have the power that God has. I mean, God is all-powerful. Satan is very limited in his power. Remember the Old Testament story, that encounter between uh, Job, uh, when Job was on the earth? Satan walks up to God and says, hey, can I mess with Job? God's like, all right. Satan says, can I do that? Nope. Can I do that? Nope. Can I do that? Nope. Satan's like, well, can I do that? And God's like, okay, you can do that. Satan actually has to ask God permission to do what he wants to do. And he messes with Job. If you read the story of Job, he does some really horrible things to Job. But make no mistake about it. All those things that Satan did to Job, he had to first ask God's permission. I think about Jesus we think about Jesus as He went to the cross. Even in that moment, Satan had to get God's permission for Jesus to die on the cross. Hey, can I just mess with Jesus? You can have him on Friday afternoon, Satan. That's it. Can you imagine that after Satan, as after Jesus dies on the cross, Satan is like, "We won. We are victorious. We won, guys. We win." And Jesus comes back on the third day. He says, You actually lost. You thought you won. Your power, Satan, is very, very limited. Number eight, Satan is defeated. On the cross, Jesus Christ crushed his head like a serpent. Now, when my wife and I lived in Thailand, uh, we saw uh, way too many snakes. You know, what, you know what kind of snake is a good snake? A dead snake. And so when I would see a a snake, um, I first freaked out because I don't like snakes. They give me the the heebie-jeebies. And then I would immediately look for something to kill the snake. I just, I cannot stand snakes. And so I would cut off the, if I had a shovel or something, I would, you know, cut off the head of the snake. If you've ever cut off the head of a snake, you just see the body, the the rest of the body just kind of wrangling around the head of the snake, just there. This is what Jesus does on the cross. He has cut off the head of the snake. But his body is still wrangling around. It's still writhing around. Causing turmoil, fear in this world. But make no mistake about it. Satan has been defeated. His head has been crushed. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians 2.15. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities of the world and put them openly to shame by triumphing over them uh, on the cross. Put them to shame is how Paul explains Satan has been defeated. Number nine, um, Satan cannot separate you from God. He can't. He's going to try and convince you that he can He's going to make you use all sorts of deception and lies, but Satan cannot separate you from God from God's love and certainly from not from your salvation. Satan cannot take your salvation away from you. Paul writes it this way in Romans eight I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Satan cannot separate you from the presence of Jesus Christ, even when he tries to. And the last one I want to share with you about Satan this morning. You have every weapon to go to battle against Satan. As Christ followers, you've got the tools and the weapons to fight Satan down. And one of the most important, powerful tools you can use is just, frankly, the power of prayer. Just speaking out to God and asking God to protect you against Satan, to speak to Satan and the evil forces of the world and saying, you have no part of me. It's just this prayer, just inviting God to go to battle with you. And so prayer is one of the most important, powerful tools for us to fight against Satan. The second one, of course, is Scripture. Over and over, to use Scripture. This battled going against uh, the, uh, against Satan. And this is why we're reading through John this year. Because we got to know Scripture, right? We have to understand Scripture. If we just know little bits and pieces of Scripture, if we do not read the Bible and understand and study Scripture, Satan is like, oh, they're vulnerable. I'm just going to give them a little piece of Scripture, and then I'm just going to twist it, and I'm going to lie, and they're going to believe me because they don't know any better. This is why it's so important that you and I are reading Scripture and why we are going through the Gospel of John this year. We need to be able to go to battle against Satan. And then just one more example of how we go to battle against Satan. Sunday morning worship. See, we didn't get together this morning just to sing some songs, receive communion, read some scripture, be in fellowship with one another. When we gather together for worship, we are putting our neck on Satan and saying, today we're going to battle. When you get in your car or ride your bike or however you got here this morning, you weren't just coming to a worship service, you were coming to the battlefield. Because whatever's been going on this past week in your life, whatever you're feeling in your heart, whatever you're thinking about your life, This is a battlefield where we have gathered together. And one of the most important things we can do to battle against Satan is to gather together as his people. This is going to battle against Satan just by getting together on Sunday morning. And so when we sang this morning, and as we'll sing later, it's like we're putting our foot on the neck of Satan and say, you have no power, authority, or dominion over me. It's like we all showed up with a spade this morning. We just cut his head off saying, leave me alone, Satan. I'm a sheep of the pasture and I'm with God's people. This is why we get together on Sunday morning. You know, I will say as a pastor, this is one of the most frustrating things for me is that I hear people say, well, I can be a Christian. I just don't need to go to church on Sundays. I don't know what book you're reading, if that's you. But that's not in the Bible. There is no story, no event in Scripture where it says, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I'm just going to go do my own thing. In fact, the very opposite is whenever somebody encountered the living Christ in their lives, whenever they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they're like, I got to be with Jesus' people. I got to gather together with the flock, with his people. Because I, on my own, I remember you're a sheep. On my own, I am helpless and vulnerable. I need to be with the flock on Sundays. It's like somebody saying, Oh, I'm a baseball player. I just don't have a team. No, you're not. You're a dude in tight pants carrying around a stick. You're not a baseball player. Unless you're on a team. To be a Christian means you gather together with the team, with the flock, in relationship with one another. We can't do this alone, can we? Jesus tells us that Satan is real and he's out there and he's after us. We need to gather together. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here this morning. But it's summertime. And throughout the summer, I know people often are like, well, it's nice out. Let's just get a cup of coffee. Ah, We don't really need to go to church today. No, you do. You need to gather together with God's people, with the flock. Because there is power when we gather together and worship. We're on Team Jesus and we need to gather together. I have come that they may have life, continuing back to our scripture, and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Ego, amy. And we've talked about this over and over, the I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Four times in this passage in John 10, Jesus is going to say, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheep pen. Remember, Jesus is talking, this begins with the Pharisees. So he's talking to the Jewish people. And so when he talks about, I have other sheep, not of this sheep pen, what he's talking about is us, the Gentiles. I have other sheep, not of this sheep pen. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And of course he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to the cross, but I'm going to take it up again. I'm going to rise again. No one takes it away from me. Nobody tracked me down. Nobody's going to kill me. I willingly lay it down uh, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so as Jesus is talking, as he's preaching, as he's explaining about these these ideas of of, of the shepherd and the sheep and Satan and the thieves of the world. He says, let me talk to you about the shepherd. Shepherd. You guys know what the Greek word for shepherd is, don't you? You know this, pastor. Pastor. Jesus says, I'm the good pastor. See, a pastor, I'm a pastor. You guys have called me to be your pastor. And we have this agreement that uh, we're going to read God's word together. We're going to live within the boundaries of the sheepfold, right? But every now and then, I get to slap you around a little bit because we all need... We're all prone to wander. Remember, we, we, we learned this earlier as sheep. So this is the role of a pastor, is to speak God's word, to sometimes speak the hard words that challenge all of us, because we're all prone to wander. So I'm the pastor of this church. I am the shepherd of Faith Lutheran Church. But make no mistake about it, I'm not the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd of this congregation. So as a pastor of whatever flock, if you will, that God has called me to, and and the congregation affirms my role is to speak truth. And we work together. We have this relationship. I once served in a congregation that had called me to be their pastor. And then they decided that they just wanted to do whatever they wanted. And so when I said to this congregation, here's the deal. God's word is the, is the pen. It's the sheep pen. It's the gate. We have to stay within the boundaries. They said, now nah, we're good. We, we like you being our pastor. We like you being our shepherd. We just want to do our own thing. I said, I'm out. I can't do that. Because it takes a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. And I, and I share that with you this morning because I take that responsibility so seriously. It's a huge weight. It's a huge blessing for sure, but it's a huge weight. I mean, I care about you guys. I pray for you guys every single day. Some of you I pray for individually. I carry your burdens with you when you share things with me. Sometimes I, 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 I cry when you cry. I mean, we, we, we have this relationship and this journey together. I'm not just a talking head. i not just a guy who gives speeches on Sunday mornings. I'm your pastor. And I'm so grateful for that relationship. You honor me. We go on this journey together. But make no mistake about it. I am not the good shepherd. I'm just a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. What makes him good? He lays down his life for you. See, I might make sacrifices for you. I may advocate for you. I might speak words to you. But I cannot offer you salvation. Only Jesus can offer you salvation. That's what he does when he lays down his life for you. So you don't follow me. You follow Jesus, the good shepherd, the only one who can do what you can't do, what I can't do, what none of us can do. This is what makes Jesus good, is that he lays down his life for us. This is why we read in in the Gospel of Luke, when a sheep goes off, remember the ninety-nine hundred sheep in a pasture, one goes wandering off. What does the good shepherd do? He goes after and he finds that sheep. This is who Jesus is. You're wandering off, he chases you down. You wander off some more, he chases you down some more. No matter how much you wander off in your life, Jesus is going to continue to pursue you and chase you down until you finally surrender and say, All right, break my legs. Bring me back home, whatever it takes, until we come to that place in our lives of surrender and acknowledging that he is the good shepherd and that we are the sheep, that we are defenseless without him, that we can do nothing without him, that we are prone to wander and we are dumb sheep. We just do the dumbest stuff. But we need that shepherd in our lives to rescue us. Jesus says, "I have come that you may have life and have it to the full." Some of your translations say, um, "I have come to offer you abundant life." It's this idea of not just just life, but it's just this idea of life that's good and full and rich and meaningful. So I want to ask you this morning: is your life abundant? And when I say is it abundant, what well, I'm not talking about is your is your bank account full? Do you have all the possessions you want? Are all your relationships awesome? Is your life perfect? That's not what I'm talking about. and I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about abundance, what he is saying is, do you have that peace in your life, in your heart? That whatever happens going on around you, it's like, I'm good. I'm content. My life is not perfect. But I've got Jesus, he's rescued me. I'm good. Does that describe your life? Do you have that kind of abundance that Jesus is talking about? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were divided again. Many of them said he is demon-possessed and raving mad, why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a possessed man by a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind this is what jesus does he shows up he preaches a sermon and he divides the people some people are like no no he's not who he says he is he says he's the messiah he says he's the son of god we're not buying it he's demon possessed or he's raving mad no others say how does he do this then how does he heal this man born blind? Jesus says he's the Messiah over and over and over. I am the good shepherd. So there's this, this dividing line of people. They're either going to buy it, they're either going to accept it, they're either going to receive it, or they're going to reject it. And I think this is what's really interesting about our culture today. Jesus, oftentimes in his teachings, he is so binary. It's either this or that. You're either in the pen or you're out of the pen. You're either following the good shepherd or you're following the thief. There's nothing in the middle. But we live in a world that just flat out says, no, I I reject binary. There's other options. I'm going to pick and choose which Jesus I like, and I'm going to pick and choose which Scripture texts reinforce the Jesus I like. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. It's an all-or-nothing deal. You either accept and receive who I am, that I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I am the Son of God, I have come to rescue you, or you flat-out deny me. But don't give me any of this patronizing nonsense that I'm a prophet I'm a wise teacher, that I'm someone else. Jesus never gives us that option. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is completely binary. We either surrender to him as our good shepherd, or we don't. We make ourselves our own shepherd in life. We don't like that. I know many Americans, many people who call themselves Christians. They don't like that. They're like, I want option C. I want Jesus to be my savior, but I just want him on my own terms. Jesus never, he never all allows us to receive that. That's, that's not one of the options. But we Americans, we Westerners, we're like, ah, I want my cake and eat it too. I want all the good stuff of Jesus just on my own terms. So this morning, I just want to close with the invitation, of course. Have you allowed Jesus to be your good shepherd? Have you submitted to him? Have you said, God, I'm tired of being my own sheep, leading my own way. I need you to be my shepherd. I need you to lead me to greener pastures. I need you, God, to keep me safe. God, I need that abundance. I want that abundance for my life. But that's going to mean that we surrender. We surrender our will. We surrender our desire to be our own shepherd. So I'm going to invite us to bow our heads. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you have come to us and you have spoken straight with us. You have spoken clear with us. You've come to offer us abundance and the good life. But God, the bad news is we have to surrender to ourselves. We have to surrender to the temptations of the world. We have to surrender to our desires. We have to, to surrender to our wants. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here today, gathered in person, gathered online, to just sort through what do we do with this. We thank you, God, that you have laid down your life for us, that you have made a way for us to experience your abundance, and that you rose from the grave so that we can live with you for all of eternity. Lead us and guide us, God, for we are your sheep, and you are the good shepherd, leading and guiding every step of the way. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.